0: Hey friends and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here with me this week so we can sit down with another guest. But before we get started and dive into my conversation with Paige this week, I just wanted to say thank you everyone for your very sweet messages and all of the love and the healing vibes and prayers and all that good stuff. Um, If you didn't listen to my podcast episode last week, I did a solo episode updating you on everything that's been happening in my world. And spoiler alert, if you didn't listen to last week's episode. I had COVID, but even if you just look at the title of last week's episode, you'll see that. But basically, last week, I just answered all of your COVID-related questions, kind of particular to my COVID journey and recovery, but if you want some updates, I'll give them to you now. I'm feeling a lot better, Um, my taste is back-ish. It's back-ish. <laughs> I can taste a lot of food so I think we're approaching I think it's like a week and a half that I've been able to taste like a pretty good amount of different types of food. Um, there's definitely still some things that taste very strange and not like they should which is really strange and weird to experience (laughs) Um, like raspberries, for an example. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but I make my own homemade jam and I really love homemade raspberry jam and it just tastes really off. Like it tastes like very sour and bitter when it shouldn't taste that way. So that's weird. And then I also one of my all time favorite foods is smoked salmon and it just I've been having it for breakfast for the past few mornings kind of hoping that repeated exposure will help things progress and um, eventually I'll be able to taste it like normal but it just tastes really weird but then other things like shrimp for an example I've been eating shrimp Lot of shrimp lately. It's something that I've been craving and I can taste that totally fine. It tastes normal. So it's really strange. I can taste some things really well and then other things I'm like, this doesn't taste right. But from what I've been reading, that has been happening to a lot of people. So I just wanted to update you all on that. I still can't really smell anything here and there. I'll catch like some sense of certain things and I'll kind of like shock myself because I'm like, oh, that's amazing. It's almost been a whole month of Not being able to smell anything. So it's really nice. It's, you know, the beginning of June. So it's lilac season. Lilacs are my absolute favorite flower. So I haven't been able to smell them, which is so sad. But again, I just want to like bring it back to the fact that I am really grateful to have um, been able to recover from COVID because. I know a lot of people who haven't been or have had a much more severe struggle with it. I have a family member who is still on oxygen from COVID. So I totally see that um, I am really lucky in this situation and I'm very grateful for it. So just wanted to give you those updates. And then another thing that you can look forward to in the coming weeks is that I am planning on doing a special birthday episode. So I turned 30 this month, which is kind of a big deal I suppose it feels like a big deal but it also feels really weird usually I'm like June it's my birthday month and really excited and stuff but I'm not feeling that way this month but I'm pretty sure it's because I was so sick And I'm still kind of like recovering and coming out of that, still dealing with a lot of fatigue, still have a lot of brain fog, but I'm committed to getting these podcasts out every week for you because I love it. I love hanging out with you here every week and it feels good for me to show up and put out these podcasts every week. So I really hope you enjoy them. So yeah, I will be releasing a special 30th birthday episode. I sent out a newsletter um, a couple days ago asking for some suggestions on what you'd like to hear for my special 30th birthday episode. And I got some really great suggestions that really got me excited. So I'm so pumped to record that episode for you all. But before that episode comes out, we need to listen to today's episode with Paige Knapp. So if you read the title of this episode, you'll see that Paige and I are talking about eating more and overcoming digestive issues, but also also Body image stuff. So if you're into that kind of conversation, which I'm sure you are if you're here right now. You're going to love this episode. Paige is such a sweetheart, and she actually also had me on her podcast. So I have that linked up in the show notes if you want to go listen to me on her podcast. We had a great conversation over there as well. And I hope you just love today's episode. I will see you next week. Hey Paige, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on with me this week.
1: Hi Meg, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you again.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, I'm really excited to have this conversation today about kind of like your very holistic approach of helping women um really heal their relationships with food and also their body and then we kind of start looking at digestion too because I know that was a huge part of your journey as well but before we actually dive into all of that good stuff why don't you introduce yourself to everyone just in case they're meeting you for the first time this week.
1: All right. Thank you for that introduction, Meg. Uh, like you said, my name's Paige Knapp and I am an intuitive eating and gut health coach, which sounds kind of counterintuitive sometimes because people are constantly like, well, how can I intuitively eat if I have gut issues, but I'm going to get all into that. But basically, I help my clients heal from bloating and transform their relationships with food so they can actually achieve true wellness without obsession, because that is where my health journey started, truly, was through the obsession. Um, Back in college, I developed a, it's a more talked about eating disorder now, but I don't think that it's actually recognized. It's called orthorexia. And basically, orthorexia is just an obsession with clean eating, quote unquote, and over exercising. And so you're not necessarily starving yourself, but you're obsessed with the quality of your food. I was so obsessed with the quality of my food and I was also obsessed with exercising. And I felt like I could never take a rest day. I was always the person that was doing two a days. Everyone was always asking me like, Oh, how do you have so much motivation? Like this is so like, they acted like it was something great. And it might've looked that way on the outside, but then on the inside, as I'm sure you can guess, things were not going well. So I was not sleeping through the night ever. I was waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning starving. I couldn't make it through my classes because I was chronically hungry and thinking about the next time that I could eat because I was allowing myself to eat at only certain times and only certain amounts of certain things. It was honestly exhausting. And even though it seemed like I had control over all of these things, I really was losing control on the inside. I was becoming a total slave to my routines. And the only thing that really knocked me out of it then was when I studied abroad. So I was a French major in college. And so I was lucky enough to get to go to Nice, France for a semester. And while I was there, I stayed in a homestay. And if you stay in a homestay, chances are your host family makes most of your meals for you. That's kind of like the benefit of going. And if anyone here is familiar with French culture, if you don't eat the food that's put in front of you, you are rude. Like you have to eat it. And so that was the first time I really got pushed outside my comfort zone and I had to eat everything that was put in front of me, even though I wasn't preparing it. I wasn't the one in control over it. And the craziest thing was my body didn't change like yeah, sure. i gained a little bit of weight, but I needed to at that point. But I was convinced that going on that trip was going to be something so scary and that I was never going to be able to like recover from it somehow, because in my head, that restriction was all I knew. But... After that trip, I came home and I had a totally different mindset when it came to food and exercise. Uh, I decided to take a weightlifting class my last year of college, and I got into lifting weights. And I also started studying nutrition, like just on the side. And I realized how wrong I'd been this entire time, because I always thought that you had to eat less and move more. And that was how you were supposed to be healthy but actually eating more and exercising less gave me true health. Like I, I felt healthy for the first time in my life. And so after a couple other like little career pivots, cause like I said, my, my uh, original undergraduate degree was in French and political science. And so I started doing that work, realized it wasn't for me. And so now I am a full-time coach preaching exactly what I've gone through as well as getting my master's in human nutrition and functional medicine so I can really help people dig into the what is truly nutrient-dense whole food and treats for them that are going to make them look and feel their best.
0: Incredible. I love that. So Before we move on to anything, I want to go back and talk about something that you said that's really important to me because when I was also going through my many years of eating disorders, at one point I realized while I was going through treatment that our eating disorders are so tricky and we think that we are in control, but it's actually like this very false sense of control. And we actually have to let go of that feeling of that we're in control in order to actually regain control of our life. And that's exactly like the process that you went through through as well it's like you went on this homestay you had no control over your food so you're really giving up that sense of control that you thought you had giving it up and you actually gained control of your life so I thought that was really important to just highlight because so many of us who are in the depths of an eating disorder or disordered eating we feel like okay but i need to control everything and we don't realize that like we actually need to let go in order to actually gain like
1: that true sense of control I completely agree with that. And one of the ways that I like to talk about it now with my clients is it's all about the intention. So it's okay to want to have control over some things in your life. Don't get me wrong. Like I still am a type A person to an extent. And I like having control over my food for the quality sometimes, but you also have to start asking yourself, like, when does that quote, good intention start to go too far. So a great example for that one is like if you're going out to eat and you are afraid to order anything on the menu because you don't know what's in the food. Well, is that because you're you are going into that with the mindset of something in that is going to make me gain weight. And I'm afraid of that food. And that's ruining the experience of going out. Or in some cases with some of my clients, it's, I am celiac or I have celiac disease. And so I'm afraid because if I eat this thing, I will have a reaction. Both of those are totally two different mindsets and two different intentions of going in and choosing things. So That's why I really, really like to focus with bio-individuality, which is just basically a really fancy word of saying, we are all completely unique and we all are going to have different dietary patterns that we need to adhere to, to be our healthiest. But if you're limiting yourself because you're, it's coming from a place of fear and not because it's for your own body's best interest. That's where you need to start really digging into that and ask yourself, why am I afraid of this?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with your trip to France, you said Mm -hmm. that completely changed things for you. So once you got back to the States and went back to kind of like reality and your own routine, were you completely free of all of those control issues and like the obsession that you once struggled with, or did you have to kind of do like go through that readjusting period?
1: I definitely still went through some readjusting. I, when I first got back, it was interesting because I wasn't living alone immediately after. Um, so I was living with family, friends for the summer because I had an internship in a different state. And so I only had, I had slight control there over the food that I was eating, but I still was realizing that I could eat more food and feel better and not be constantly thinking about things. And then when I started really doing the research Um, into the actual nutrition, that's when things started to open up for me. And I really started realizing like all of these things about how metabolisms work, for example, and how when you eat more food, you actually give your body the fuel it needs to do all of the amazing things it does every day. So it's not trapped feeling super hungry all the time. And as I continued to dig more into that research, then I started realizing a whole lot of things about my gut. In general, because I know you mentioned I started getting into digestive stuff. I was dealing with a ton of digestive issues before I left for France. And there were so many different, like, just. I don't even know, like coming, like coming out moments where I was like, oh my God, this is the thing that's been ruining me this whole time, but it wasn't what I thought. So like, a, for example, a lot of the times people think like, oh, well, when you eat a food that, um, like that is good for you. It's not supposed to make your stomach hurt or something like that. So, oh, well, if it says that this ice cream is lower calorie, that means it's better for me. And I found out that artificial sweeteners that were in that ice cream to make it low calorie actually were doing terrible things to my gut, like absolutely awful. And so when I started switching over and eating things like normal ice cream, my gut was like, oh, we can handle this. We know how to break this down. And so simple switches like that actually made a world of difference.
0: Yes, absolutely. And not only on like how these things, and again, we're not like looking at these ingredients and making another good or bad list, right? But we're looking at What we do have on our bad list, which is normal ice cream, right? Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people have what I'm saying is a lot of people will have that on their quote unquote bad list or no list or off limits list, right? right? And then they have the other like diet ice creams, for an example, on the list that they allow themselves like, okay, I'm allowed to eat these foods, But what we're doing with this conversation, you and I, we're not creating this other list, but it's simply like when you look at those foods that you do have on that no list, which is like the normal, regular ice cream. It doesn't even belong there, right? Like we, we mm-hmm. shouldn't have those lists to begin with. And like you said, when you actually start to relearn and re educate yourself on how these foods are actually affecting your body when like diet culture tells us they're bad.
1: But exactly. When we actually
0: look at them, they're really not like they're they're totally fine. Like you can eat them, right? And you were saying those other ingredients like impact our gut, um, in a certain way that might not be super beneficial. And I know you said these were kind of like aha moments for you. And I had a few of those myself when I was going through university several years ago. (laughs) Um, and I didn't realize how some ingredients, which are actually like chemicals, right? We're impacting our mental health too. And so again, always you said this so beautifully at the beginning of our conversation, like really the intention behind things, right? Someone can walk into a restaurant and be really fearful of what's on the menu because they're scared of everything, or they might be kind of cautious about eating this or that because they actually have like a diagnosed disease but also when it comes to these ingredients again not like avoiding them because they're bad but simply avoiding them out of like love for yourself too that's kind of what I was coming at it from when I realized that like hey this one ingredient that I've been consuming a lot of is actually not really helping my mental health. And I already am struggling with an eating disorder. So why would I be consuming more of this? Like the most loving decision for myself in that moment would to kind of eliminate or reduce my consumption of that, which led me to no longer Consume so many like diet foods and just eat the regular stuff, like you said.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how, like, I know that right now we've been kind of talking about like diet ice cream versus real ice cream. And yes, people usually consider that to be like a quote bad food. Um, But one thing, one example I really like to bring up for me specifically are carrots, raw carrots, and raw apples. So I have an allergy to birch pollen um before we even started recording this call we were commiserating a little bit on how bad the allergies have been for both of us and so during birch pollen season I can't eat. Well, I can always, you always, I always can eat the thing, but I choose not to eat raw apples and raw carrots. And that's because there's actually proteins in the skins of both of those fruits that are super similar in structure to birch pollen. So when I eat a raw carrot or a raw apple, and my system is already overloaded with birch pollen my tongue gets itchy. My throat starts scratching. My stomach will start hurting when I eat this food because my body thinks, Oh, Hey, you're ingesting an allergen and carrots are supposed to be healthy. You know? So I would sit and eat like carrots and hummus and then feel awful for hours. And I'm like, why do I feel so sick? And then I found out it's oral allergy syndrome because it's a crossover with birch pollen. So that's just kind of like a big push on, we are all bio-individual. You would never think that the personal trainer, health coach talking on this podcast, like chooses not to eat carrots and apples, which are some of the healthiest quote unquote things out there, but you really do have to just focus on what makes you feel your best
0: absolutely yeah and it's so
1: interesting that
0: for you it's like you so you avoid you choose to avoid those foods at certain times of the year but like not year round exactly it's like when your system is already overloaded
1: Mm -hmm. during allergy season it's the worst (laughs) and then the rest of the year it's totally fine like I, I I don't know it's just that's something that's super bio individually specific to me
0: Yeah. And like you said, you're getting your master's right now and getting even deeper into the science behind things. So let's kind of talk about your approach, um, because both you and I know that when someone's going through an eating disorder or disordered eating and really limiting their intake, being really restrictive, digestive issues like really present themselves I know I think my digestive issues were definitely the worst pre like going all in and like getting my period back and stuff because up until then I just was never really at an adequate amount of calories like unknowingly so anyways can we talk about more About how, like, more food can actually help us overcome those digestive issues? Because I think for a lot of people, it's hard to wrap their heads around that.
1: Yes. So, this is one of the things that I, I am most passionate about because I often find that when I start working with clients who have been eating super low calorie for a long time, they're immediately just like, well, I can't eat this thing because it makes my stomach hurt. Protein is the biggest example there. And the interesting thing about protein, especially if you're eating animal protein, is that if you haven't been eating it for a really long time, your body kind of forgets how to digest it. Because if you think about it, your body is constantly trying to be as efficient as it can be. All the time. So if you're choosing not to eat a ton of protein, it's going to go, okay, that means I don't need to make these enzymes, which are the little things inside you that break down your food. Um, And I don't need to make these enzymes anymore, because if you're not going to give me any protein, then I don't need to digest it. So I'm going to save energy and not even bother. But Then when you decide, okay, I am going to go all in, I'm going to start eating more food and you start eating all of those things. Again, your body doesn't just immediately turn all of that system back on. It does take time. And so a lot of the times I find that people need to start gradually introducing things like protein back into their diet, because otherwise they're going to feel super bloated, probably deal with some acid reflux because their stomach is trying really hard to digest that food. But it. It needs the care and the attention and the time to start to be able to do that again.
0: Yes. And can we talk about bloat while we're on the topic? Yeah. Because of course. Uh, so many sirens go off for so many women, like when they experience bloat. I've never been one of those people. I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm bloated, whatever. Um, but a lot of women freak out over bloating. So mm-hmm. we need to talk about this because. I'm all about like normalizing the bloat. I mean, like we don't want to be bloated 24 seven. That's a way of our body communicating with us. But when we are introducing like new foods or more food, moving through recovery of some type, or just being a normal human and eating some lunch and being a little bloated after lunch, like these are normal things. And if you could elaborate on that for us, that would be amazing.
1: Okay. So I could, Oh my God, this is one of my favorite topics. I could talk about this for hours. The first point that I really want to make for everyone out there is that there are different kinds of bloat. This is super important because when you eat food, it has to go somewhere. (laughs) So this is the big one that most people get hung up on. Um, they'll weigh themselves in the morning or something, and then they'll weigh themselves when they go to bed and they're like, Oh my God, I've gained five pounds. It's like, okay, how much water did you drink? All of the food that you ate that weighs something like you are holding it inside you. It has weight. It has mass. So those small fluctuations like that, when I talk about like true bloating, that's not what I'm talking about. So if that's what you're going through, just know that that is hundred percent normal and that's great. But if you are dealing with bloating that is so, like so much and so uncomfortable that you can't go through your day because your stomach just hurts, that's where we need to start working on some things. And that is just showing that uh, I, it depends on. Obviously, it depends is my favorite phrase, so I'm probably gonna say that a billion times. But. For example, if you have been limiting your calories for a really long time and then you get super bloated, it could be that you are now bloating because like I said, your body doesn't have enough enzymes to break it down. And so you would need a little bit of support there. That could be through something as simple as taking a digestive enzyme or starting to incorporate some probiotics in your diet. Uh, Things like fermented foods, kimchi, sauerkraut, all that good stuff. Even yogurt, Greek yogurt is one of my favorites to throw in and work on bloating that way. or if you are um, if you've been eating a super low carb specifically for a really long time, and then you start eating carbs again and you feel like, oh my God, I've blown up like a balloon, you should know that when you eat carbs, Carbs have to be paired with water to be stored in your body. And so you might feel like you're bloated, but in reality, you're just holding extra water because your body has the extra carbs and that's supposed to happen. So there's nothing wrong with that. So there are just so many different things that could be causing bloat in general. And I only touched on a few brief ones there, but all of those physical reasons for bloating are nothing to be ashamed of
0: mm-hmm yeah I know I definitely experienced all sorts of bloating throughout my life I've never been one to like cut out protein for some reason I feel like everyone kind of I don't know about you Paige but I like it seems like a lot of people went through like a vegan or vegetarian
1: phase have you I have. And it totally wrecked my gut. It was so bad. Um, But for me, once again, I realized through that, that I am very intolerant to soy, like very intolerant to soy. So when I removed animal products and tried to only eat soy as my protein, it just did a number on me. Didn't work.
0: Yeah. I never went through... phase like that which is kind of interesting because I feel like every single person I've ever chatted with always has gone through a phase like that but I definitely went through a long period of time where my carb intake was unfortunately low and when I started to work to get my period back you and I both know that carbs are essential Mm -hmm. as well as protein and fat and yeah like you you hold more water when you eat more carbs but it all does even like your body adjusts and our bodies are just so incredibly resilient and adaptable and it's just amazing they're always just trying to help us be our healthiest self
1: Exactly. And through eating carbs and through eating proteins and fats and all of that good stuff, you are giving the bot, your body, the fuel it needs to actually be its best self. And I think that that's something that's super important. So even though you might look at something and think like, why is my body doing this to me? It's doing it because it genuinely wants to help you. hmm yeah, that
0: is an important shift to realize because I think a lot of us are stuck in that mindset that our bodies are like doing something to us or working against us. But it's like if you've ever been through a period of restriction or, you know, eating disorder, disordered eating, and you can and you're like at a place in your life where you can reflect back on that, you can really see that Your body literally will do anything to help you be your healthiest self. Exactly. Yeah. So one other thing that I know you talk about is body image. And that was definitely something that you would have had to incorporate in your journey as well. I think it's always a journey for all of us who have ever gone through a healing journey with food. Body image is usually always at least somewhat a component in that. So what did that look like for you, Paige? How did that play a role in your journey?
1: It was really interesting for me because... Growing up, I was very like stereotypically just like thin. Like I know I had thin privilege. I danced for 18 years. I never really thought about my body or what I ate. And what really was the catalyst for me starting to even pay attention to what my body looked like was after I went through a breakup which is super stereotypical and whatever, but I wasn't given a reason for the breakup. And so being a typical girl, I was like, okay, well, something has to be wrong with my body. And that is what kind of started it for me as far as like the body image stuff. But what really started transforming my body image and bringing it back to a more healthy mindset was strength training. Like I said, when I got back from France, I decided that I was going to um, enroll in a weight training class, which was awesome. I was super happy that my college offered that. And I started looking at my body as something that I could make strong and like become more resilient with instead of just looking at it like something that I had to shrink and be smaller. And so by focusing on a different goal that I wanted to be stronger, that's how I started pulling myself out of it. And it was actually really interesting because for a while, I just didn't really think I I kind of didn't think anything about my body to be completely honest. I think that there's a huge push nowadays for everyone to be super body positive all the time. And I wasn't necessarily always positive about my body. I just kind of was neutral. I looked at it kind of like an experiment almost. And I don't know if that's, I, I, I don't know if that would work for everyone necessarily, but that's something that worked for me. was just to focus on an outside goal instead of just constantly staring at myself in the mirror, wanting things to change. Yeah,
0: I love that. And I feel like the being neutral about your body is the best place to be. I mean, loving and accepting your body feels great. But to go from this place of always wanting to like shrink your body or control your body, it's hard to... Just like bounce from there over to I love and accept myself just the way I am. And yeah, both you and I discovered that place of just being neutral with our bodies. And it was a huge game changer for me. So, it's cool to hear your experience with that as well. I love it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And one of one other thing that this is one of those things that it sounds so simple to say out loud, but it was obviously way more complicated underneath was I just started acting like I wanted to be like who I wanted to be. And it's easy to say that like, sure. It's like, okay, well, you're sitting on the other side of it. It sounds so easy. And it, it, it was, but it wasn't. Um, but if there is a way that you see yourself living and you wish that you could live that way, the only way that you're going to start to be able to get there is by doing, um, and so by making that choice and saying like, I'm going to live for myself today and I'm going to eat for myself today and like exercise for myself today, because I know it's going to make me feel good and start being the person that you want to be. That's how you're going to get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I know you said it kind of like sounds easy and especially you're sitting here now with like this healthy relationship with food and your body. And yeah, it does sound easy, but I think if we are so unhappy with where we're at, we do make that choice to start showing up as that version of ourselves because, I hit that point in my journey as well. I was like, I am so unhappy with like where I am and I can't believe I am still dealing with this shit, you know? Yeah. That was like, gosh, like 10 years ago almost, you know, being so frustrated with how things were going and you just start to show up differently. And it doesn't happen. Like all of your actions and all of your behaviors might not change overnight, but it's going to be gradual, but you will start making those shifts. And like you said, that's what we need to start doing. Like if you want to be somewhere, but you're not there yet, let's like realign ourselves and start showing up like that person.
1: Exactly. Show up for yourself. And I think that that's another big thing. Like I, I know that for me, it because I had all of that outside validation when I was still in my eating disorder tendencies of people saying like, oh my God, you look so great. You look amazing. I almost felt that by straying from that, I was going to let someone else down. But all I was doing was letting everybody else's thoughts influence my actions to a point that it was really destroying me on the inside and like you said I was by the time I was done I was so tired of being so tired and so controlling and spending so much time just thinking about food and thinking about all of that I didn't want to be that way anymore and so like you said it took it took some time but I just decided I'm going to start living for me and what happened was my friends and family, instead of saying like, Oh yeah, you look, you look so great. I started getting, you look happier. Like, and that's when it really started hitting me. I was like, I I do, I, I am happier because I'm actually eating. I'm not sitting here stressing over a menu when I go out to eat with you guys, or I'm not super exhausted falling asleep on the couch at seven o'clock at night because I didn't sleep because I was hungry. Like all of those things started to change and it made it easier then to go forward. And I know that that's something that you've talked about too, I think, like when we're chronically under eating, our brains just don't work right. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I often say that is literally one of the most challenging things about recovering from an eating disorder, right? or disordered eating, like when we're malnourished, we literally don't think properly. And I also think, I personally think, I've never looked into research about this, but I I also believe that we don't see ourselves properly, right? Because mm. when I wasn't feeling myself properly, I, my body was never right. Like there was always something wrong. I always thought um, that it didn't look the way that it actually looked, right? Um, I always, like, I, since, like, 10 years old, nine, even earlier than that, I was, like, struggling with body dysmorphia. And it wasn't until I got to a place where I was actually, like, eating properly (laughs) that, I started to realize, like, huh, I feel like I don't struggle with body dysmorphia anymore,
1: Mm -hmm. right? And I
0: really do think that calories actually help me overcome that because if our brains don't function properly when they're malnourished, I feel like that affects the way we actually, like, see ourselves, or view ourselves. So I always thought that was interesting. But yeah, it just that's the thing about recovery is we have to eat in order to overcome what's like most challenging for us, you know, and the moment we start to replenish those nutrient stores, then recovery actually
1: gets easier. You know, yes, completely. And that's like when people always people will come to me sometimes and they'll be like, Oh no, you don't understand. I have a food addiction. I'm like, no, you don't. Like if you would actually give your body the resources it needs, you wouldn't be so obsessed with food anymore. And that's the thing that I think shocks the most people is like the people that come in and they're like, no, I'm food obsessed. And if I allow myself to eat this way, like, I know I'm going to just go all out all the time. And it's like, that's because your body is starving. And if you actually give it the amount of food that it needs to run appropriately, it's not going to want the food anymore. And I know that that sounds crazy, but it's true. Like we're all walking proof of it. Everyone who's gone through a period of super restrictive eating. And I also think that it's important to note that this can happen with any form of restriction whatsoever, not just people who are going on like super, super low calorie diets. But if you are eating what you think are decent calories for you, but you are still mentally restricting, you still are going to be going through those same mental hurdles.
0: Mm-hmm. Or if you were restricting for such a long time, your body adapts to that and you'll know. Ob- obviously all of like the science behind this and whatnot with metabolism, but like your body down regulates, it adapts to that lower intake level. And that's kind of where I found myself in my journey. Like I was not mentally restricting anymore. I wasn't consciously restricting anymore. I was following my hunger cues, but my hunger kind of like or my metabolism kind of adapted to this place that wasn't really low you know I thought like it was quite what I thought was appropriate and it wasn't too far off of where I realized I should be and I was like a couple hundred calories can't make that big
1: of a difference right but it does (laughs) It definitely, definitely does. And yeah, that's like, that's something that's so important because when you've spent, especially in your case, when you've spent years chronically restricting, your metabolism isn't ruined. That's the one thing I want to say up front is people constantly are like, oh, well, my metabolism's broken. Like I have to fix my metabolism. It's not broken. It's your body trying to do the best it can to keep you running with the very limited amount of food that you're giving it. So it's doing a good job. It thinks, but then little, do you know, then, okay. You say, okay, I have to eat more food and then you gain a little bit of weight and you get super scared by it. And that's because your metabolism is so low or it's running on so few calories. But like you said, when you start eating more, your body's not going to be as afraid anymore. And that is going to take time. But eventually, as you continue to increase the amount of food you eat, you're not going to store every little bit of food. When you are eating super low calorie, your body is going to put away as much extra fuel as it can because it thinks, oh my God, I'm never going to get this food again. I have to store it because she's never going to feed me. But then when you do start giving your body calories over time and consistently enough over and over again, it'll realize like, Hey, we can burn this off. Like we don't need this anymore. I don't need to store this. And that's when you'll see your weight start to regulate. And that's going to happen at different times for different people. But I would also like to point out that, like you said, I'm doing my master's in nutrition right now. And in my biochemistry textbook, For women, it was like ages 18 to 50, the average amount. So this is just for like a normal seven, like sedentary person. The average amount of calories that you should be eating is 2300. Yes. Thank
0: you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that because a lot of people who listen to this podcast, they're going through HA recovery. And Mm -hmm. I think when we start going through HA recovery, that's where we start hearing a lot more like specifics about the number of calories we need in order to get our periods back. Right. So we hear that 2,500 calorie number as a minimum. And we think, All of a sudden, start to think that's a lot because, well, if I'm not eating enough right now and I need to get my period back, I need to eat a lot of food and it's telling me to eat 2,500 calories. And I am like always saying to people, this is not a lot of food. Like, this is not at all. What, like, and so you said that 2,300 in your textbook is kind of mm-hmm. what the average sedentary is.
1: Yes, Women that's eats, really right? important to note because I know that a lot of people who are going through HA and who have gone through eating disorders are not considered sedentary. No, to, far from to it. Put it <laughs> yeah, to put it into perspective, like if you are walking like around 10,000 steps a day, you're working out in the gym at least five days a week, you are not sedentary and <laughs> you need more food. And the book has adjustments for that too. But I always just like pointing out that number because it that is literally like, you wake up, you come downstairs, you watch TV all day, you go back upstairs, go to bed. That's the minimum amount of calories you need. And that shocks people, but I think it needs to, like women need to realize you can eat more food.
0: While we're on the topic, I think that, and talking about that number being for sedentary people, I think it's just to kind of like put it into perspective for people because I know when I read this, it kind of like clicked and I was like, oh, that's a really great way of looking at things. But the majority of the calories that you burn in a day is from just like being alive, right? Yes. And some people think that like if I don't hit my step number or if I don't go and do my regular workout, then they're like slashing the amount of food they eat like significantly where it does not need to like, it shouldn't be that way because the majority of the food that you need to eat in a day is just like for
1: living. And like you said, being sedentary, really. Exactly. And yeah. So when you look at the amount of calories that you expend in a day, it's total daily energy expenditure. It's made up of, like you said, BMR, basal metabolic rate. That is going to be the biggest chunk. And that is all the calories your body needs to build muscle, make your brain work, um, blank, digest food, all of that kind of stuff. Then you have your exercise, which, you know, people track that to a varying degree. I'm. I'm not a big believer in tracking exercise. Most ways of tracking exercise like that are not like accurate. Like your calorie counter is not accurate. Don't, don't bother, honestly. Um, and then there's thermic effect of food. So any energy that's given off by you digesting food, which is like negligible, tiny percent, but it's still there. And then there's meat, which is non-exercise activity, thermogenesis. And this one people have been focusing on a lot recently in the health space. It's kind of like all of the movement that you're doing that isn't intentionally like cardio. So this isn't going to be something like, Oh, I'm going to go on a walk. This is it's like going I'm sitting to the grocery here- store or, yeah. or even, your kitchen. even something like I'm sitting here, like tapping my foot. That's neat. I'm burning off extra energy because apparently I need to right now. And like, so my body is moving. So it's the little things. And that's actually one thing that I really started noticing as I was eating more food, I wanted to move more, but not not in the sense that like i i was like oh i have to go burn it off i just realized like i'm going to sit here and twirl my hair instead of just sitting here and not moving like a log because my body's like oh my god conserve every bit of energy we have it was like we have some stuff you can like Emote with your hands. Like, I know you guys listening can't see this, but I'm like being all Italian over here and like really emoting because that's how I want to be talking all the time. But when I was eating super low I wasn't doing that. Right. My gosh, I could chat about
0: metabolism forever and a proper calorie intake forever. I really love um, and appreciate that you threw out that example from your textbook because I don't think we can be reminded of that enough.
1: Completely agree. And just another plug here that 1,200 calories is the amount that a toddler needs and you are not a toddler if you are listening to this podcast, I promise, so please eat more food. I think
0: anything under 2,000 calories seriously needs to be looked at.
1: Yep. yeah even even in a quote cut like people will say like oh well I'm cutting so it's under and it's like no Mm -hmm. (laughs) you don't need to do that to yourself you can still eat more food I promise yeah 2000
0: and over club over here oh yes to to me it's like why not eat more food like (laughs) I'm just over here trying to eat the
1: most food I possibly can living my best life exactly it's it's such a better life that's one thing that i always like to ask my clients and like people even on instagram is like what would you actually do with all of your free time if you weren't constantly just thinking about food and how hungry you were and it's amazing like people people have like the best answers to that and so the answer is just start eating more food so you can go and be that person for Don't yourself do that. I know. I often think, because I was going
0: through my third eating disorder when I was in university, and it's like, oh my gosh, Meg, how challenging studying was for me, because I was thinking about food all the time. Yep. All the time. So it's just like, how... Oh, I would have aced my exams, you know, if I with like ease, if I wasn't um in that situation that I found myself in. But anyways, I want to talk about you and I know we're getting to the end of the show. You are working with women and supporting them through their own journeys. You said you just launched your program for the second time. So tell us a little bit more about how you're working with women because it kind of like encompasses everything we talked about today.
1: Yes. So like you said, I'm not entirely sure when this episode's coming out, but, um, I'm running the second round of my gut instinct group program. We're going to start that on May 31st. Um, and it's a 12 week program to help you heal from bloating and transform your relationship with food to achieve true wellness without obsession. And I, like I said, this is the second time that I'm running this program. I'm so happy to be able to run it again, because the first round was just so transformational for for people, and this program really focuses on all of the things that I wish that I knew when I was going through all of my disordered eating and all of my gut issues and all of my body image issues too. So. The program itself is broken up into three different kind of phases. And so the first one is going to be all about that brain rewiring, getting you in the right mindset to actually go through this program and give it your all. And then we go into all the nitty gritty nutrition stuff. So if you've ever been interested in anything about metabolism, digestion, uh, all the different fad diets out there and what they're good for, what they're not good for, and how to um, like meal plan, choose foods that are right for you. We dig all into that stuff. And then at the end, we do all of the supporting pillars, which is stress management, uh, exercise, and sleep, because all of those things are important too. And so that is my group program offering, but I do also offer one-on-one personalized coaching. And it goes over a lot of the same stuff, but i I pride myself on that not being a cookie cutter program. I'm just going to design something that's right for you. So if you're having some kind of food or exercise issue that you want to chat about, definitely feel free to send me a DM or something and we can get together and figure out a solution for you.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Paige. And where can everyone find you over on Instagram?
1: I am at imperfectlypagewellness on Instagram. And then I also have my website is imperfectlypagewellness.com. So Perfect. nice and simple.
0: We will link everything up in the show notes. And if you're listening right now, just take that screenshot, post it to Instagram, and you can tag both Page and I. And one last question for you before we hop off. And that is, what does it mean to you to be unbreakable?
1: Oh, man. Being unbreakable to me means I can feel limitless, which sounds really ridiculous, I think. But it's just being able to go through life and knowing that you have the power inside you to make your life exactly what you want it to be.
0: Mm, I love that page. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much,
1: Meg. I had a great time.